He is risen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful morning. You have blessed us abundantly. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for the blessings of this week, our services, and all that we have been able to experience as we've set our hearts on you. And as we've considered the cross and now the empty tomb, we pray that the emptiness of that tomb would be impressed upon our hearts to show us all that life eternal is available in the Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we, as we approach your word today with reverence, may we understand the things you speak to our hearts. May you speak to our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, again, if you're here visiting today, we are so glad to have you. We want you to be welcomed here. We want you to feel comfortable here. You were probably invited by someone who attends our church regularly, but here's the way it works here. We're, we're a church family, so now you're family. That's how it works, so we're glad to have you. This morning, we are going to start off in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, and in verse 38. And I'm going to read from there make a few comments, and then we're going to make our way to the book of Jonah in chapter 2. So that'll give you a little preview of where we're going today. So in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 12, and in verse 38, Matthew 12, 38, Matthew tells us that then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There is probably no other account in God's word that is challenged as much as the sign of Jonah. That is the account of what took place in the book of Jonah. There are many people that, pardon the pun, believe it's just a fish story. They just think it's something that someone made up and it's a sort of a myth or a legend or a a morality play, some type of thing that happens to teach a lesson, but that no one's really supposed to take seriously what happened to Jonah. There's one major problem with that, and that is that Jesus, our Lord, not only took it seriously, but quoted from the account at least three times in the scriptures. So as we look at this today, I want to just give you an idea as to why did Jesus bring up the book of Jonah? Why did he bring up Jonah to begin with? Well, it has to do with the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so this morning, we are going to be talking about that. We're going to be studying the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, in this account that I've just read from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to prove himself to be the Messiah. So the whole point of their approaching him is to say, you know what, you say you are the hope of Israel, the son of David. You you say and others say that you are the Messiah. Prove it. Do something incredible. Impress us. Make us believe. And so often I think we approach God that way. We ask him to do something that we can't deny. If God were to work in a way that you could not deny, then you would never exercise faith. 
But let me say this as well. God does work in amazing and miraculous ways, and the sign of the prophet Jonah is perhaps the most amazing of all. Now, as we approach the scripture, realize these Pharisees demanded that Jesus perform a miracle so convincing that none could deny his claims. They dismissed and discounted all of his previous displays of miraculous power and authority. See, when people say, oh, God, show me that you're real, it's as if you're saying everything you've already shown me doesn't mean anything. You you haven't impressed me with anything, Lord. I just want something else, something more, something much more than I've already seen to believe that you are who you say you are. Listen, he had proved to them that he had the power to heal mankind. Amen. To work miracles, clearly. He had the divine authority over demons and evil spirits. That much was clear to them already. They didn't choose to believe that. What would he have done that they could have possibly not Uh, had the same approach to, except perhaps the sign of the prophet Jonah. So they had refused to acknowledge him as Israel's promised Messiah. They were really just making excuses. Have you ever found yourself in life just making excuses? It's a sad thing when we're not just honest about things and we make excuses. Oh, are you available Friday? Oh, you know, now that I think about it, um, I, I got some stuff going on. I got a lot going on at work. We make excuses. We do it a lot. The worst excuse you can make is to say, well, I really can't believe in God because he hasn't proven to me that he exists. And yet, the proof is abundant that God exists. And I think so many times people just make excuses. Now, why are they making excuses? See, it's important to understand why. I find that at the end of all of the excuses, you will find that people are just not really willing or wanting to open their hearts to God. There are some people that won't get into any kind of real serious relationship or open their hearts to another human being because they're scarred, because they have some trauma in their life. They just are unwilling to let anyone know what they're thinking or what they're feeling. That's very common today in our world. But it would be very sad if you took that same approach with God. They did. So Jesus rebuked them. Now, the word rebuke basically means corrects them strongly. He rebuked the Pharisees for demanding further proof of his messianic claims. They had already received enough proof, by far enough. So Jesus refused to give the Jews any miraculous sign other than this, the sign of the prophet Jonah, which is a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is, of course, what we celebrate every day as Christians, but especially on this day, Easter Sunday, as called by some, Resurrection Sunday, uh, called by others. Regardless, it means the same thing. We are celebrating the fact that Jesus died and rose again. Amen? Now, why did he say that they were wicked and adulterous? Uh, Those are strong terms, but they were wicked and adulterous because they had still chosen to reject his claims. They were wicked because they didn't want to submit to God. And they were adulterous because they were serving other gods. They were serving themselves and they were serving their desires. They weren't serving the God of Israel. And then, you know, Jesus does these things sometimes. And sometimes, to be honest, I'm surprised that he isn't a little bit more blunt. He speaks cryptically to certain groups of people, not to all people. To some people, he's very, very clear. To others, especially those that were rejecting his claims, 
He spoke to them cryptically, that is, enigmatically, that is, in a way that they'd really have to think about it to understand what he was saying. For example, the parables were designed by Jesus to reveal truth to those that wanted to hear it and obscure it from those that were rejecting it. God never obscures his, church, his, his truth from the church or from those who are truly seeking him. But the truth is obscured from those that don't want to know the truth or are rejecting him. And that comes out loud and clear. So he predicts that he would rise from the dead after three days and three nights by pointing to the sign of Jonah. Intentionally vague, in order to keep them unaware of his intentions, they were actually completely aware. As teachers of the Old Covenant, of the Scriptures, they were completely unaware that there even was a sign of the prophet Jonah. And maybe some of you are hearing this for the first time. He was clear that there would be a parallel, a link, between his future as the Messiah and Jonah the prophet's past. There is a commonality, a link. He testified to the truth of all of the miraculous events recorded in the book of Jonah. He didn't say the story of Jonah. He said the account or the sign of Jonah. He testified that he, as the Messiah, would eventually die and then descend into Sheol, or the heart of the earth, or Hades. And he would do this for three days and three nights. A lot of people have looked at this, and I being one of them, have realized that if you do the math, and I I was pretty good at math, I still am, uh, that it's kind of hard to have Jesus die on a Friday and, and spend three days and three nights in Sheol or Hades or the place of the dead. And so for that reason, many people, myself included, believe that Good Friday was actually Good Thursday. But it doesn't matter because you can celebrate the truth of the resurrection and the crucifixion on any day. And so, as it is traditional, we in our culture celebrate Good Friday. But whether it was Good Thursday or Good Friday is irrelevant. There was a day when he died, and there was three days and three nights that he was in the heart of the earth. And as a result, when he rose again, he fulfilled many scriptures, but those that had doubted him could clearly see that the sign of the prophet Jonah had come true. The miracle that he had promised these naysayers and these critics had happened. And now, the miraculous sign that they asked for had taken place. What would be their response? Well, I'm glad to say that many of those who were Pharisees and priests, those Jews that doubted Jesus during his life, believed afterward, after he died and rose again. But certainly not all. In fact, many may have believed, most may not have. And many today doubt the resurrection. And I'm not here to try to prove to you that Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb was empty. He is risen. That's a matter of faith, but it's a matter of truth. What I do know is he referred to the book of Jonah on two, as I've said, possibly even three different occasions. He spoke in such detail as to indicate his acceptance of the entire narrative with its two great miracles. You see, the book of Jonah has two great miracles. We're always familiar with the first, that is, Jonah was three days and three nights in the body of a fish, a great fish. But the second great miracle is even more impressive. The men of the wicked city of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. 
That's the greatest miracle of the book of Jonah. And I'm going to suggest to you that as great as the resurrection is, in terms of the greatest miracle in mankind's history, the history of mankind, one of the equally great miracles is that you and I, we who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, have repented of our sins. That to me, if you look at my life before Christ and and you figure that out, you think that's no less of a miracle in many ways. And yet we know that Christ's resurrection is the greatest miracle of all. Well, it is significant that he brought both great miracles into relationship with himself and his preaching. He talked about it here. We've read it already. He talked about these things, speaking of Jonah in the belly of the fish, as parallel with his own entombment for three days. Citing the repentance of Nineveh as the rebuke to these unbelieving men of his generation. And so, it's important that you learn at least one thing this morning, that there are many that doubt the truth of the book of Jonah, but Jesus was not among them. In fact, he regarded the miracles of the fish and the repentance of the Ninevites as actual historical events. He spoke of the physical miracle of the preservation of Jonah in the body of the fish, and he spoke of the moral miracle of the repentance of the Ninevites. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, we can realize that there is something in the book of Jonah that we can learn from and that Jesus pointed to. So now, final turn of the morning, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Old Testament to the book of Jonah, a little book in the section called the Minor Prophets. And if someone's having a hard time finding it, you can do one of two things. No, Google Maps won't get you there. You can turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not that familiar. Would you help me find it? Or, it's amazing, you can go to the table of contents in your Bible and it will tell you what page it's on. (laughs) How about that? But as we go to the book of Jonah, we find ourselves in chapter 2. I'm not going to look at chapter 1. Most of you are probably familiar with what happened in chapter 1, but I'll recap it for you. It recaps Jonah's disobedience to the Lord. You see, Jonah had disobeyed the Lord's call to go to Nineveh, and instead he sailed to Tarshish, which some believe uh, was the part of Europe outside of the Mediterranean Sea. So some say it's the Atlantic coast of France and Spain and Portugal, or it's northern Africa along the Moroccan coast. But it's definitely past Gibraltar, definitely out there in a place where you can get about as far from Nineveh as possible. So the message is that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach repentance, and he decided, because he really hated them, because they were wicked, vicious people. He just thought, I know how good God is. God's going to save these people. And I don't like that idea very much. So imagine if for some reason you were called to go minister to the Taliban or some other group of people that you consider to be morally reprehensible. And God said, I want you to go preach to that group of people because I want them to repent and come to know me. And you're thinking, I don't want them in heaven. Why would I want those people in heaven? They don't deserve to be there. I'd rather see them get destroyed and go to hell. Oh, I know, people don't actually say things like that in church out loud, but you're thinking it. There's a group of people somewhere in your life that you're thinking, if I've got to spend eternity with them, that's hardly heaven. (laughs) But truth be known, God changes our lives and our hearts 
so that we enter his presence in eternity changed into his likeness better than we currently are. But you see, Jonah didn't want any part of that. And I'll be honest, there are groups of people in our culture, some of them seated in Washington in particular, that I could easily say, I'm not so sure I want them to repent in my flesh, in my flesh, according to my feelings. But when I consider it, God's heart is for the lost sinner. He wants all to repent. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so what happens in these cases, you realize, well, God has called me to preach a message of love and hope and grace and mercy. And if I refuse to preach that message, woe to me. Because I have received God's grace, mercy, and goodness, and I was given the opportunity to repent, and I am no better than those people of Nineveh other than the fact that I responded. And when you recognize that, that's called humility. You recognize, you know, I know who I am and who I'm not. Every one of us here today has to acknowledge that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, every one of us, each of us, has failed to be the kind of people that we want to be, let alone the kind of people that God has called us to be. So you're in good company. You're just like the Ninevites. But God's got a miracle for you. God's got the resurrection, yes, but he's also reaching out to bring salvation to those that repent. Well, let's get back to our account here. So what happened is the Lord responded to Jonah's disobedience because he had become a very hateful man. He did so by sending a great storm. And then the sailors, they actually threw Jonah overboard at his insistence. And as soon as they did, the raging sea grew calm. Because you see, the storm was God's way of reaching Jonah. The Lord responded to Jonah's disobedience also by providing a great fish. Now, some say a whale. The scripture says a great fish. What's important is that God provided a way for Jonah to be saved from drowning. You might be thinking, well, I'm not so sure I like that. Couldn't have you just thrown a life preserver or given him a lifeboat or something? No, there was a, a means to God's methods here that had to do with reaching the heart of Jonah. And we're going to see the very first peril that he encountered was the great storm. The ship was going to sink, and he basically told the sailors, if you throw me overboard, this storm's going to cease, and, and you'll solve all your problems. They didn't want to do it. They were afraid. They ultimately did for fear of their lives. And now Jonah's got another problem. He's going to drown. I don't know how many of you have ever been in the ocean uh, where the surf is really rough and the waves are difficult to, to deal with. I've been caught in two riptides and almost drowned twice. So I can tell you, when you get into a situation where you really can't swim against the current, it, it, you're, you're literally seconds away from drowning. A couple of years ago, we were at Dorney Park, and we got into that wave pool. You guys ever been in a wave pool? It's kind of fun because it's kind of a controlled environment. You think, well, nobody ever drowns in a, rain, in a, in a uh, wave pool, but actually people do. So I, I did a little test one time. My wife and I were in the wave pool, and I thought, let me pretend that I'm out at sea, and let me pretend that I, I can't touch the bottom. So I did, and I realized within a minute that I was done for. And I'm in pretty good shape. I realized just the waves and not being able to navigate the, the strong surf that's you know, man-made in that case 
made me realize you don't last very long in the open water. And that's why you wear a life preserver, right? So as I'm thinking about that, we oftentimes think that they threw Jonah overboard and, and then the fish came up, opened up his mouth, and he went right in. But that's not at all what happened. God was working through the storm. He's about to work through the fish, but he was working through the waves. And that's what comes out loud and clear in chapter 2. See, the fish was miraculously provided by the Lord in order to rescue Jonah. We don't think about it that way. But the fish rescued Jonah from drowning. Jonah wanted to die. He would rather die than see the Ninevites receive salvation and be blessed. But God had other plans. The Lord had prepared a fish large enough to swallow Jonah whole and keep him breathing. And you're thinking, oh, that, that doesn't sound... I, I, can I believe that? Well, now you put yourself in the, the, the category of those that deny the resurrection. Because the sign of the prophet Jonah is linked to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can doubt both, but you can't doubt one and not the other. Think about it. Logically. Well... The fish was miraculously provided in order to rescue Jonah from drowning, but it was also miraculously provided by the Lord in order to redirect Jonah toward Nineveh. You see, if he had just thrown him a life preserver, what would have happened? Jonah would have kept going in the opposite direction. God provided a fish that not only saved him from drowning, but turned him around in the direction that he was called to go. See, God does that. God will rescue you. Amen? He'll save you. But he's going to turn you around. Listen, I have no doubt that if God hadn't turned my life around when I was about 21 years old, I wouldn't look this good. I was joking around in the back. I said, you know, it's, it's Easter Sunday when I tuck my shirt in. L- listen, God has done amazing things in my life. No less amazing really, in many ways, and being swallowed by a great fish and steered in the direction that he called me to go. You see, I was going in the wrong direction, the opposite direction, as many of you can attest who've known me that long, and I can attest in your lives. And God not only provided a way for Jonah to be saved from drowning, he provided a way to get him back on track. It was the same provision, but it accomplished two great, wonderful things in his life. So the fish was also miraculously provided by the Lord. (laughs) I like this one to convince Jonah of his need to repent. Something about being thrown into the water, almost drowning and being swallowed by a fish, and being there for three days and three nights might have changed his mind. What do you think? It might have just had something to do with why he suddenly considered, maybe, just maybe, I should be obedient to God. Oh, I have spent many a night, many a day, in situations where I recognized if I had just obeyed God, this wouldn't be happening to me. And I can tell you how quickly in those circumstances, not quickly enough, unfortunately, but how quickly we start to reason and think, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe God was right. Maybe his word is true and maybe I'm the sinner who needs to repent. Well, back to our account. I'm telling you, Jonah wanted to disobey the Lord. He wanted to flee in the opposite direction, too, but God had other plans. And I love that the Lord provided a fish that was not only large enough to swallow him, but swift enough, fast enough to carry Jonah back to the place he was called to be. That fish was also uncomfortable enough to break his rebellious spirit before the Lord. So God's provision was uncomfortable. God's provision was quick. 
and God's provision was large enough to save him. All that is exactly what God does in our lives and in our hearts. And that's what the sign of the prophet Jonah is is really about. It's about understanding that Jesus said there is a way in which a man or a woman can be saved. But he will do, because he's so faithful, whatever is necessary in your life, my life, our lives, to bring us to that place, to bring us to the place where we cry out to him so that he can bring us to the place of blessing where he's called us to be, And if it needs to become uncomfortable, if it needs to become difficult, if you need to go through a trial or some horrible tragedy, don't blame God. And don't thank God for the tragedy necessarily, but thank God in it, that he's working through those things to bring you to salvation, as we'll see. Okay, so now we get to the the, the real sign of Jonah. We we pick it up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I actually just want to look at verses 1 through 9 now. It's a prayer, really. We learn, and you can learn a lot about people by how they pray. When you listen to someone pray, you you learn a little bit about who they are and, and what they desire and where they're at in their life and what their needs are. You know, if someone prays and they're always thanking God, then you can deduce they have a very thankful spirit. Oh, Pastor Tim, would you like to pray? And if you start to pray and you say, oh, Lord, we thank you for all of your many blessings, then people can say, well, that person seems to be thankful. But if you start to pray, oh, Lord, we know that the world is a terrible place and everyone in it is horrible. You know, if if your attitude when you pray is kind of complaining, you're probably a person that complains a little bit. Would you agree? So let's learn, as we read Jonah's prayer, let's learn. And by the way, this prayer could have only been recorded by Jonah and shared afterward. All right? I don't think the great fish was taking notes. So here's what we learn. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed. To the Lord his God, he said, in my distress I called. So he's, he's talking about something he had already done. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from the depths of the grave, or Sheol, that is, hell or Hades. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots, or to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. To the earth beneath, uh, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought me up. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. See, he provided the fish to do that. Well, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you toward your holy temple. And this is a beautiful statement. So true. Those who cling to worthless idols, that is anything other than God. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Here it is. Salvation comes from the Lord. By the way, side note. In Hebrew, when you say salvation comes from the Lord... It is very, very similar to the name of Jesus in Hebrew, which is Joshua, the Lord's salvation. 
That's what his name means. Salvation is, it comes from the Lord. So isn't that interesting? In that same section, salvation comes from the Lord. You, you pretty much could just say Jesus. By the way, that's the best prayer you can pray. He said, help me. You can put that in there if you like. Help me, Jesus. So as I've read that prayer, a couple of things come out, and I want to go over them with you. And I want you to think about your own life and make application for yourself. Are you like Jonah? Have you been in situations like this? Is there anyone here in the last two years that hasn't been in a situation like this? I mean, it has been a crazy world we've had to endure. And yet here we are. Praise God. Salvation is from the Lord. He prayed to the Lord for deliverance. Now, what he's doing, he's recounting the prayer that he had prayed before he was in the fish. He prayed while he was inside the fish as well. But much of what he's praying is actually from the book of Psalms. We don't have any idea how long it took before he prayed this prayer and shared these things from inside the fish. The indication seems to be that it was the entire three days and three nights. And if that's true, Jonah was one stubborn guy. You know, we, he may have prayed this prayer shortly after being swallowed, but more than likely, I suspect that God only kept him in there the minimum length of time. But of course, it took a little time to get Jonah back on track as well. He had sailed west, now God was bringing him east. So we don't know how long it took, but we know that he was a stubborn guy. With that, we do know. Couldn't have been comfortable inside that great fish. The air was probably hot and stuffy. It was no doubt pitch black. Imagine that. I don't think it was a, it was a situation where he had a whole lot of room. Just enough to survive. Anyway, he called out to the Lord in desperation shortly after the sailors threw him overboard. He tells us that. Oh, he was praying inside the fish, but he had called out to the Lord as soon as he was thrown into the water. Here he is out in the middle of a storm, really, and he's about to drown, and he's, he's going down into the sea, and God rescues him, as we've, as we've already talked about. I want to point out that the Lord immediately responded to his prayer by providing that great fish to rescue him. See, God will immediately respond to your prayer. He's not going to make you wait and wait and wait. You might choose to wait and wait and wait. If you're spending three days in a situation that you should be out of because you're stubborn, that's a different story. But when you're in a situation and you feel like you're drowning and you say, help me, Lord, save me, I can tell you God's not going to say, I'd love to save you, but I'm a little busy right now. He's not going to say, well, I'm going to watch this. Watch this, he says to the angels. Watch this. I'm going to make this guy suffer for just a couple minutes. Let's let him swallow a little seawater. That's not the heart of God. The Lord responded immediately. His initial distress had nothing to do with the fish. It had to do with the fact that he was about to drown in the stormy sea. So he says, I'm, I'm certainly going down to the pit. I'm certainly going to go down to the grave. I'm going to die. It's amazing when we think we're going to die, how our hearts sometimes are a little bit more open to God. Well, the Lord, and remember, he's a prophet. He speaks to God. God speaks to him. The Lord had sent the great storm to force him into the stormy sea. And that's why the sea grew calm after he was hurled into it. He was going into the sea one way or another. God made sure that that was the case. But he came to the conclusion that God had forsaken him in his rebellion. Now, that is never true. Do you know that that is never true? He will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? And you might be saying, well, Pastor Tim, that's true for the person who knows God. But what about the person who doesn't know God? Well, God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the world and all the people in it. God loves you. And you might say, well, Pastor Tim, I'm not even a Christian. Well, God loves you just the same. Well, I don't love God. Well, God loves you. Have you ever loved somebody that doesn't love you in return? Parents? You ever feel like that with your kids? You pour all this love into them, and then they, in a moment of, of, of jubilation, you think, oh, I love you so much, and then they turn to you and they say, I hate you. And that's when they're like 25. You know, true love loves no matter what, amen? Jonah came to this conclusion in his prayer. He thought he was forsaken by God. And you might think this morning that you've been forsaken. I got news for you. Not only have you not been forsaken, God loves you, and you're in this place today to be loved on by God's people, and that God might speak to your heart and show you just how much he loves you. We're not condemning anyone here today. You might condemn yourself. We oftentimes do that. But you're loved by God, and you're loved by us because we love God. The scripture makes it clear. We love because he first loved us. Wrong conclusion, but we do that often. So in in an act of final desperation, he looked to God's temple in Jerusalem. Now, the Jews would do that because that was how they prayed. They They would pray toward the temple. Daniel did this. The Jews do this today, just where the temple mount is. It was tradition, but it was also part of their culture. So he begins to pray to the east. He accurately describes the process of drowning in the Mediterranean Sea with the seaweed and all the waves. Clearly, he was drowning, but it was at this point that he prayed to the Lord to rescue him from drowning. Oh, it's not over yet. He still hasn't surrendered his heart. He just wants God's help. He just wants God to save him. So he could have avoided this if he just didn't get on the ship or if he just told the sailors, listen, instead of throwing me into the ocean, turn the ship around. I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to turn around. You know, that's what the word repentance means. Turn around. It's a change of mind. If he had just turned around, the storm would have dissipated and he could have avoided all of this. But no, he was stubborn. And so he insisted on continuing to go in the wrong direction. God in his love and in his mercy brought the storm, the waves, and then ultimately the fish to save him. And then, you know, it's interesting in verses 6 and 7 of this chapter, Jonah actually thanks the Lord for providing that great fish to rescue him from drowning. We read it. Let's look at it again. Why was it that he didn't drown? How come he was saved? Well, it says here, you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. He was rescued. He said, when my life was ebbing away, in verse 7, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. God rescued him, and God will rescue you. But that doesn't mean it's over. How many people know that just being rescued by God doesn't mean it's over? Say amen. God wants to do a work. God wants to change your heart. God wants to bless you abundantly. That happens as you submit your heart to him. That was next. And we think that might have taken three whole days and nights. Well, the Lord knew exactly what it would take to motivate Jonah to cry out to him. He brought him up from the pit of death. He knew that Jonah would respond, so he had provided a great fish in advance. You know, that fish didn't just happen to be there. It says God provided a great fish. That fish was circling around waiting for this to happen because God knows the future. His means of deliverance in your life is already there. You just need to get in it. 
The lifeboat is already there for you. You just need to get in it. You just need to experience and receive God's blessings. That's up to you. Well, Jonah was motivated. God has a way of motivating us. He recognized that the Lord had rescued him from death despite his sinful rebellion. And that is the first step. You need to rescue, or you need to realize that God has rescued you from rebellion. You need to understand that God has made a way where there was no way. That he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. That he has provided Jesus through his cross and the empty tomb the way he provided the fish for Jonah. That's the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's part of it. Jonah had prayed to the Lord to be rescued while relying on the grace of God. And and you and I, we need to do that. Ask for God's help. Don't try to do it on your own. You'll drown. He believed that his prayer would find God and that God would find him and save him, and he did. But here's the thing. He repented of his rebellion and vowed to obey the Lord's call to go to Nineveh only after he experienced being in the great fish for three days and three nights. We read about it already in verses 8 and 9, but here he proclaims the truth that idolaters, those that cling to worthless idols, idolaters have no right to petition God to be gracious and merciful. And yet God is gracious and merciful. But understand those words. Let's look at them again. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. God doesn't reject anyone. People reject him. You know, if you don't show up on the field with nine players, if you're going to be in a baseball game, or 11 if you're on the football field, you forfeit. And there's so many people that forfeit God's grace. Why? They don't show up. I'm preaching to the choir today because you know what? You guys are here. You've shown up. But those that cling to worthless idols, things that are worthless, things, people, anything but God, you forfeit God's grace. Here's what we do know. We know that while idolaters have no right to petition God and be gracious and merciful, they can. Because God invites you to do so. In the day of distress and desperation, clinging to worthless substitutes for God is useless. You've found that out already, I'm sure. We experience a hellish life when we think that we know what's best for us, because we don't. We will never find true contentment in this life by running away from God's will. We never do. His grace is constantly available to each and every one of us if we but cling to him in faith. I want to read a precious scripture to you, one that says so much. It's in the book of Lamentations. I'll just read it for you. It's in chapter 3. It's in verse 19 that we start. Jonah could have said this. Jeremiah did. I've said it many times. I remember my affliction, Jeremiah writes, and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Oh, I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen? Oh, that's the truth of the gospel in a nutshell. Crying out to God the way Jeremiah did. Understand this. Jonah recognized it was his responsibility as a child of God, to submit himself to him 
unconditionally. The word worship means to surrender your heart to God. Praise means to tell the truth about God. For anything you say about God that's true is praise. But to worship is to surrender your heart. This man, Jonah, was no foolish idolater that had forfeited a relationship with the Lord by grace. He hadn't. He knew God. And many of you do. But he now determined in his heart to worship the Lord with a thankful heart. Even in his circumstances, he humbly promised to be obedient to the Lord's call in the future. Now that's what he did. In verse 9, I'll read it again. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. There's a changed man. There's a man who knows the truth and is living according to the truth. And things can change now because he's acknowledged God in this way. He acknowledged the truth that the Lord can save whomever he chooses. He shows mercy upon those he, he will show mercy and kindness on those he will show kindness. By the way, this can include a disobedient, rebellious, and unworthy prophet like Jonah. It can include me. It can include you. This can include a wicked and undeserving people like the Ninevites, who were vicious, horrible human beings. It can include you on this Resurrection Sunday morning. But that's up to you. The Lord responded, though, and as we close, this is probably where we find ourselves after all this study, recognizing the true sign of the prophet Jonah. In verse 10, it says, The Lord and the Lord commanded the fish. You see, he was in control of the fish. He commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Not a pleasant experience, but so much better than being inside the fish. A couple of things I want to mention here. The fish was miraculously commanded by the Lord to swim in the direction of dry land. What if he had vomited him up in the middle of the ocean? That wouldn't have worked out very well. I mean, throughout the entire ordeal, God was moving Jonah in the direction he wanted him to go. One of the greatest realizations is that while he was in the fish, God was moving him. You're going through a horrible time right now, maybe? And you're thinking, my situation is even worse. I feel like I'm in the belly of a great fish. I don't see God moving. Well, you won't until he gets you there. The whole time the fish was moving, God was moving him where he had called him to be. He ended up right where he was supposed to be without even knowing that God was moving. That could be you this morning. There is no wasted time in God's timing. God is always working, always moving, always blessing. And always bringing us to the place he's called us to be. The fish was miraculously commanded by the Lord to vomit the prophet onto the dry land. The Lord brought him all the way to his intended destination. As close to Nineveh as he could get him. He ended up right where he was supposed to be without even knowing that God was working. Oh yes, God is moving, God is working. Brothers and sisters, there is no unfinished work in God's working. He finishes what he starts. He completes what he's promised to do. Now the sign of the prophet Jonah is the miraculous foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it on multiple occasions. See, he died for your sins on the cross and his spirit descended into Sheol, Hades, or the place of the dead. He rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, where he ever lives to intercede before God on your behalf. 
He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We say these things. We, we know these things to be true. But the question is, will you, like the prophet Jonah, cry out in desperation to Jesus and be saved from your sins? That's up to you. But God loves you just enough to make it as uncomfortable as he has to for you to do the right thing. Remember these words. It was Jonah who said, salvation comes from the Lord. The name of Jesus. God saves. Salvation comes from the Lord. And that is truly the sign of the prophet Jonah. Lord, Heavenly Father, we recognize that you have a work that you desire to do. We recognize that you have done the work, that it is finished, that you finished the work on your cross, and you rose again to prove it was done. And on this day that we celebrate and remember the resurrection, I pray that every heart here would know that all they need to do is cry out to you and say, Lord, save me. And that you will immediately place your love in their heart in a way that they've never experienced ever. That you will immediately save them from their sins, their mistakes, their failures, and begin to deliver them from the circumstances and the trials of their life. And that you'll steer them in the direction that you've called them to go and bring them to the place that they are called to be and that they can have a thankful heart knowing that you love them and are working all things together for good on their behalf. Lord, I pray for every heart here that every single one of us would cry out afresh and anew and say, Lord, save me. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.